0: Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane, and I have been kind of on an energy kick today, or this maybe this past past month. I definitely would say today because I've been doing a lot of reading about energy and energy work. And my guest today is Lisa Erickson. So welcome, Lisa.
1: Thank you, Sarah. So happy to be here.
0: So Lisa has actually authored some books. She does seminars. She teaches classes. And she is really big into energy and chakras. And chakras are something that hasn't I don't know much about. So let's start, first of all, with why you do what you do. And then I want to move in to chakras, please.
1: Yes. Well, really, my introduction to energy healing and energy body mappings and the chakras of which they're a part of came through a meditation practice. Over 30 years ago, I began meditating and I entered into a chakra meditation practice, which is a meditation practice where you focus on certain parts of the body that are associated with energy centers and subtle body mappings. And that was my introduction to that work. So it was a personal practice first. And then over time, I was actually working in corporate technology at the time, but it became a passion. I started studying it on the side and eventually became certified and changed careers. And I love working with it because it's a very non-invasive gentle way of working with healing energies that impacts both the body and the psyche. It has, you can work with it sort of physically or from a spiritual perspective.
0: So what exactly is a chakra and how many do we have and why are they important?
1: Yes. Well, how many we have varies according to the tradition. But what I'll say is that we have an energy body just like we have a physical body. Sometimes it's called the subtle body in different traditions. And traditions all around the world have mapped different energy body mappings. And practices like yoga and acupuncture, which at this point in the West are very popular and well-known, are both based on energy body mappings. Yoga postures are not just based on physical anatomy, they are based on ancient Indian mappings of the subtle body and a good yoga workout is meant to balance energies on that level as well and is designed to do so. And acupuncture is based on meridians, another energy mapping uh, that comes out of Chinese ancient Chinese medicine. So these energy body practices are actually already in our culture. We're just not always aware of that. And chakras come more from the yoga tradition of things. They are energy centers that correspond to different physical locations in our body. And they're really intersections between physical, psychological, and spiritual energies. So there's energy medicine traditions that use them for physical healing and there's spiritual and personal development traditions that use contemplating them and meditating on them, working with them as part of a personal growth uh, process. And that's more where I work because I work more with women's empowerment, trauma healing, goal manifestation, and using the chakras within the context of that. Um, Now, in terms of numbers, it varies by tradition, but the model that is the most well-known in the West is a seven chakra model with seven energy centers core parallel to the spine, running from right around the tailbone all the way to the top of the crown of the head.
0: So is it, is it important to have your chakras balanced or are you supposed to have more energy in certain areas? Yeah, well, you can work with empowering chakras and
1: balancing the flow between them. Both are important. So sometimes you're working with bringing forth the energy of a particular chakra, For example, the navel chakra or what I work with in the navel location as the third chakra, some people work with it a little higher up in the stomach, but that whole area is associated with willpower, determination, et cetera, confidence. So if you're going into a situation or you're working with that theme in your life, you might do activation practices that are focused on really empowering that chakra right on the other hand sometimes you want to be working more with balance between them for example if someone is too focused in their navel chakra all their energy is kind of pooled there it's like when we dam up a river to make a lake right which you don't necessarily want That's someone who may be too aggressive in their life, may even reflect as too angry, too boundaried, right? So it's always about both empowering and balance and and what you're working with depends on what you're working with in your life.
0: So you brought up the chakra that's around the navel Mm -hmm. and in looking, uh, researching you and what you do, what is, does that have to do with the being a mom area, the navel?
1: Yeah, that it does, but also a little bit lower, which is more the pelvic region. So that navel chakra is the second chakra.
0: Okay.
1: The root chakra is the first chakra down at the tailbone, right, the base of the torso. The pelvic chakra is the second chakra. So this is the chakra that in energy medicine varies between men and women, right? On a physical level, it corresponds for women to the ovaries, every chakra is linked to a gland, by the way, to the ovaries, to the womb area, right? for men, it corresponds to the prostate, right? And so we have a certain connection to the chakra that is a little bit different. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you choose to have children or not, this chakra has a different energy for men and women, and it's tied to our physical body in a different way. So it's really that second chakra that is tied to our mother energy.
0: So how important and how complex can the energy between mom and child be? Mm. Well, pretty complex. (laughs)
1: You know, from an energy medicine perspective, we have an energy line with our birth children that mirrors the umbilical cord. So essentially a line that goes from the mother's navel chakra to the child's uh, or the mother's, sorry, second chakra in the pelvis to the child's navel chakra, thats what, which is their belly button, right? And this is a unique line, just like this relationship is unique, right? Human experience, we the only way we get here, as of now, <laughs> is through a female body, right? Is through a womb space. And at the energy body level, this line is thus very unique. It's unique to our experience here, unique to any of our other relationships on this energetic level. And we talk about the fourth trimester from an energy perspective that's reflected as during that first few months of a child's life, they literally are an extension of us energetically. The umbilical cord may not be active anymore, but this energy cord is very, very active. So that postpartum period is a time of great adjustment and sharing of energy. And that's helping a woman adjust to that energetically is part of the process, right? And then as a child grows, that line should be becoming less and less active. And there are certain markers, 18 months, three years, six years, 12 years. By the time a child is an adult, it should pretty much be dormant. It's not a line that's ever used to share energy anymore. Some mothers have reluctance letting that line go dormant. Some children have reluctance letting that line go dormant, right? But that is the process of parenting. And it is a different experience for that reason, uh, for mothers and fathers, although obviously fathers and adoptive parents develop all sorts of other lines. We don't have to have this particular line active to be a loved and healthy child, but this particular line does have a function when it's there.
0: So do you work with mothers and children who might have some emotional issues?
1: Yeah. I work more with mothers. Well, I work with adults. I don't work. I have three kids, but I don't work officially in my private practice with children just for I'm not trained in that. So I work with mothers both, well, I work with individuals, male and female that are working with their own mother line at times, if that's a problem in their life. For example, adults, especially adults who had challenging childhoods with mothers with addictive issues or mental health issues. And uh, so attachment issues developed on a psychological level and detachment problems may be developed because of some of that. Different caretaking patterns, situations in which a child was had to become the caretaker of their parent very young because of some issue. And so that can reflect in adulthood in different ways. And so we would maybe work with these energy lines to help redefine that, reframe that as part of a psychological process as well. And then, yes, I do work often with mothers who are experiencing challenges managing that line. I work a lot with women in postpartum because it, it obviously is a very challenging time. many women we are getting more and more aware of the challenges of that time from an energy perspective there are certain energy practices that ancient traditions sort of knew and incorporated about that we don't have that we that can be very helpful to women
0: is there a large difference between um women's energy and men's energy or is it pretty similar
1: well, you know, it's like our physical body, it's what, 80% the same, right? But that 20% is pretty significant, right? And it actually has reverberations through our whole body. So it isn't just that we have these different reproductive parts, the different hormonal balance impacts other parts of our body. Like example, heart medicine is different in men and women because of the different hormonal balances, thyroid medication, all, you know, it reverberates through the whole body. So that's really the same in energy medicine too, on one level you know, 80% is the same, but this second chakra difference is pretty significant. And if, when you're getting into working with someone's energy beyond kind of the blanket level, it it is pretty significant. And it has a lot to do for women with, just like physically, our cycles are much more pronounced, right? Having a menstrual cycle is a huge part of our life and our physical health, right? Pregnancy, postpartum phase, perimenopause and menopause, Men also have phases and cycles, but they're not nearly as pronounced as ours. And our whole physical health is very linked to this. And so is our psychological and energy body health. And so there's a lot more work often that needs to be done around owning those cycles energetically and learning to work with them because the general push for so long was to make them insignificant. In other words, like to make them not something that held women back as they were competing with men in the workforce, right? So trying to make them the least amount of impact as possible, as opposed to, wait a minute, what's the power in this and how do I connect with that, right? Which is, was more the focus of ancient women's traditions.
0: How did you get to work with uh, sexual trauma victims? Cause that, that is something that you work f- very frequently with, correct? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I had a good friend in college who was a sexual trauma survivor and that, played a big role sort of in in my life and helping her through that. And I learned a lot. I didn't necessarily know I was going to work with sexual trauma survivors later on. But when I began doing women's empowerment work, a huge number of women in my workshops and in my private practice had experienced sexual trauma. And so I realized it was something I wanted to gain more knowledge about and more experience in. And so that's what I did. And over time, developed my own way of working with it.
0: And sexual trauma doesn't necessarily have to be physical, it can also be emotional, correct?
1: Yeah, it can be, you know, there's different levels of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. Yes, I mean, certainly through words, through shaming, through intimidation, all of these kinds of things impact our relationship to our sense of being a woman. And our sense of our sexual energy, we might receive imprinting and messaging that it's somehow bad or evil or the source of problems or all of these kinds of things. And all of that impacts our relationship to our second chakra and all the themes of the second chakra, because that is what differentiates us, right? So that sort of, you know, there is almost collective (laughs) issues that might be actually defined as, as sexually abusive on that level.
0: When you're born, could you have an issue with a chakra or are you normally born with everything pretty clean and clear and everything flowing? How how does that work?
1: Good question. Very
0: complex. (laughs) Chakras are considered
1: to have levels. So there's this level connected to your physical body, right? That really is, you know, if you're physically healthy, then your chakras at that physical level are in good shape, right? Right. But there's levels of the chakras and the inner levels considered to be the karmic level. So in traditions that believe in say ancestral patterns or past life patterns being written somehow into your energy body, that inner level, yes, you're already born with something written in there. And there's way there are chakra traditions or chakra tools for working both with ancestral things that you may have taken on through your family, including trauma, because more and more we're realizing um, the reality of secondary trauma, right? Uh, knowing about trauma in your family or having ancestral history of trauma. Uh, and also with past lives, if someone believes in that, that things may come forward that you don't consciously remember that are impacting you. So there is a level of the chakras and the energy body that connects on those that would be already printed in there. <laughs> so you can be physically healthy and be like, okay, my chakras are open and strong. Like you can, if you're a good yoga practitioner, that is the level of the chakras that yoga works on and that your level of your chakras is going to be open, right? As we talk about and clear, but then at this karmic level, of course, there's still things you may be working out, right? Having a shiny aura, being a great yogi practitioner doesn't mean you don't have wounds in your heart, right? Or, 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 uh, fears about speaking or, you know, blocks to your intuition or things like that. And that's what you may be working with on this deeper level.
0: Do you think it's important to start children out early doing yoga and such? I think it's helpful if a child
1: is open to it. You know, I think my, in my own life, with my kids are teenagers, so <laughs> the jury's still out, we can say, on how they're turning out. <laughs> but my approach was to model. And when they were young, they were very interested in joining in with me, right? Now they're not, right? because that's what you have to do as a teenager, right? We'll see how it manifests in their life later on because I have so many things in my life that I rejected from my parents at a certain point, but then took up in my own way later on. So it made an imprint. So that's my approach is yes, when they're young, expose them to mind-body modalities and especially meditation. Mm -hmm. And then later on, see what happens, don't ever push it because then it becomes something they have to rebel against.
0: Okay, so I want to talk about meditation, because I have a friend who has been meditating for years and years and years, and it's very um, good for her mentally. But mm-hmm. recently, someone had said that meditation, you will invite, this is literally what was said, you will, you know, you're not just talking to God, your higher power, you're talking, you, you also can invite Satan in. Mm-hmm. What What is your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think the way I would frame it is, uh, yes, from an energy perspective, you could perhaps open yourself up to energies, but really that is a very low risk of doing something like that. I think what I think is more relevant to most people because most people are just sitting there battling their thoughts right yeah. <laughs> What's more relevant to most people and especially because i work with uh, trauma survivors is we do have a growing awareness that mindfulness and meditation needs to be framed carefully for people that are in a difficult place emotionally it is not this panacea of like meditate and you'll feel better meditate and you'll be relaxed right mm-hmm. It's a way of working with your mind that's very helpful long term because it helps you create space or learn how to create space between reactions, right? So out in daily life, you're, you're training to not be so reactionary, to be able to stop when a difficult emotion comes up and take a breath and deal with it. That's literally what you're practicing doing in meditation. Every time your mind gets busy or a strong emotion comes up and you take a breath and let it go, Right. That's what's the most helpful thing about meditation, that piece right there. But if someone is a trauma survivor or going through a very difficult time or experiencing chronic anxiety, what can happen when they sit is that they experience that is magnified because they have no other distractions. So for someone like that, it's not the right modality at that time. So as much as I'm a fan of meditation, because I work with a lot of trauma survivors, I'm very careful about framing it, trying it out in small doses, and what kind is going to work for them. And part of the reason I like chakras is because often people find that's a good modality for them because it gives you something to focus on. It's like you're focusing on a part of your body and a heart, a a color, maybe an affirmation. All that provides enough of a distraction that it shifts your awareness without kind of bringing up a lot of difficult thoughts that might happen when you just try to let go of everything. Um, So, so I don't know, that's not exactly what you were asking, but that's sort of where I go with that question. If we want to say Satan is our anxieties and our trauma and our dark thoughts and our dark moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, It could arise. And so you need to know you need to understand that and understand it's okay to just get up and stop or try something else.
0: How often do you meditate?
1: I meditate daily. At this point, it's really the foundation of my spiritual practice, mm-hmm. and to do this work, I have to. I need to do it.
0: And how can you remove yourself from all the trauma that you are exposed to from your clients?
1: I mean, that's an ongoing challenge that anyone working in any caretaking field needs. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a lot of people now from COVID, right? Who, in various ways, shape perform are you know having to deal with that themselves because they had such a challenging year with patients or whatever. You have to engage in self-care, you have to know your limits. For example, I know how many private sessions I can do a week. Period. And it can be hard when someone emails me and they really need or want a session, but if I go over that, my work will decline and my health will decline. So that serves no one, right? So you really have to be able to draw that line and do what you can do refer people when you can't and engage in the self-care and clearing that you need to let go of it. And you have to know your limits, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we first started, you had talked about how you help people with manifestation. Mm. You want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, it's interesting with this seven chakra
1: system, you know, the upward path of like moving energy up through the chakras is often talked about as the meditation spiritual path, right? And you enter into mystic states as the Kundalini, it's called, moves up. The downward path is the manifesting path, taking something from inspiration to idea to communicate it, connect with people, execute on it. I'm going through the chakras as I go down to birth it physically, right? So I work with that model of the downward path to help people work with a goal. You know, the crown chakra inspiration energies being, for example, What do you really want to experience more of in your life as the result of this goal? What are you really trying to accomplish by getting a new job or moving or starting a business? Not, you know, um, well, I don't like my boss, so I want to change jobs. Okay, well, what's the positive expression of that is, you know, I want appreciation, right i want more work-life balance i want more abundance i want more money right that's the energies and we use that as our true north then to kind of work downwards the vision the communication the action plan to birth that new reality but this is always your true north because often we do kind of set goals and work towards goals from a reactionary place yep and also we can have blocks in certain areas some people are dreamers have constant ideas that's upper chakras have a lot of problem of execution, which is the lower chakras. Some people are great at execution, but they don't have a vision. So they're not really uh, establishing goals that like will get them where they want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So that, in that sense, the chakra mapping as an archetype is really helpful for goal setting and manifesting.
0: Okay, I like that. I never knew, the, yeah. the you know, you come down from that and then you go from yeah. that.
1: It makes sense,
0: right? It does make sense. Yeah, once you said that, I felt like a light bulb went off. Yeah. Okay, let's discuss your books because I am really excited. I well, first of all, I was excited because when I reached out to you, we were able to connect so quickly. So I was unable to read the book. So I will read the book after that. We, we have discussed all of this. But let's discuss your books and tell me, um, tell me a little bit about them and tell me how they have impacted others as well as yourself. Yeah.
1: Well, Chakra Empowerment for Women is really my baby. <laughs> yeah. My fourth baby. <laughs> Three teenagers in a book. Uh, that one in particular, cause that's really trying to make a certain portion of this work around women's energetics, women's empowerment, sexual trauma healing through the chakras, very accessible. So it lays out 12 tools trying to do it in a way that someone who really had no familiarity with the chakras could engage with it, but also someone who already does work with the chakras in another way could find it interesting because it's got specific stuff around menstruation and pregnancy and also sexual trauma healing, women's conditioning, and how to work with the chakras for women's empowerment around all of those themes. And it's really a how-to book, these 12 chakra tools. So that is that book, and it very much is a subset of the work I do in workshops and things like that, what can be presented in a book. The other book then, the publisher, Llewellyn, that did that book, asked me to write. It really was originally meant to be part of a Meditation Beyond Beginners series, and then they let that series go. So the book ended up being called The Art and Science of Meditation, but it's really a resource guide for someone who's already dabbled in meditation But would like to learn more about the traditions of meditation, the different types, how they impact the brain, the spiritual connections, uh, how to consider a retreat if you're ready for that, all of these kinds of themes around taking your meditation to another level if you've been trying it out and aren't sure where to go with it. So it's really a meditation resource guide.
0: Nice. And how can you, because you work remotely, so what are some of the services that you could offer anyone listening So I do private sessions by phone and Zoom. That is
1: chakra-based energy work. And I also teach workshops regularly. And all of that can be found at Chakra Empowerment for Women. I teach a three-month course twice a year. I just finished one up that is tied to the book. So it's really meant to work with the material in the book on a deeper level in a supported way. I was trying uh, for a way to make the private session work more financially accessible to a larger group of people. So I do that in groups. And then I do one-offs of webinars that are on a particular topic energy work for sexual trauma energy work for menopause energy work for boundaries big issue with women right better energetic boundaries manifesting through the chakras so those are sort of one-off workshops that i run regularly
0: so can you help someone who has hot flashes and during menopause there's so many changes what are the biggest um things that you see people helped with with energy work
1: Yeah. Well, for one thing, many women experience some form of increased anxiety at that time, and it's partially hormonally based. It's often partially about the conditioning we have around aging and this phase of our life. So the tools can be very helpful from that perspective. Uh, Also, this phase of life is really considered a very powerful time in energy medicine. The Kundalini, which is the spiritual growth or personal growth energy that moves through the chakras, is considered to be surging, and that's what hot flashes are from an energy perspective. And so learning to lean into that and approach it as this is a transit into the most powerful time of my life, what do I need to let go of, in what ways have I been blocking myself from stepping into my power, what interests have I not pursued? It's really part of that whole midlife reframing that is what happens at that time, but helping someone come at it very consciously and use the energy that they have at that time to transform it from a painful process to a transformative process. I think a lot of the work I also do is around the conditioning related to aging for women, in particular. Uh, and you know, that our worth somehow comes from our ability to bear babies or, uh, our being in our sexual prime and and that all that's over and (laughs) woe is us, right? So letting go of all of that. So someone can really be like, no, I'm just coming into my power and own it that way.
0: So what would you say to someone who has never had any energy work done? I think, um, don't
1: approach it as something you have to believe in. Just give it a try, but do do your research, find someone ideally through a referral or someone who you've had you know, some exposure to so you have some sense of that you can trust them and that it resonates for you. And then give it a try and see how you feel afterwards. I think sometimes there'll be, people will be like, I don't believe in that. I'll be like, you know what, just have a session. <laughs> see how you feel <laughs> first, right? Uh, approach it more from an experimental perspective. And maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't, which is fine. But if it does, you have a whole new world opening up to you. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.